Good afternoon. Uh, my name is Holly Cassano, um, and I am uh, a CPC, CRC, uh, and my your host, as well with Kim Dews, who's also a CPC, CRC. Um, we're with Billing Paradise, and we're here to present to you a free webinar on risk adjustment fraud, and not just another F word. Hope everyone is doing well today. Good afternoon. We're happy to be here. Yes, we are. Hope everyone's having a great Wednesday. Um, we've almost made it to Friday at this point. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So, Kim, uh, I'm going to just kind of proceed forward. Um, you know, uh, some of the things that we want to talk about today, you know, to help everyone out is we know that risk adjustment, you know, is a very confusing topic for many people. Um, you know, health plans have trouble with it. Um, you know, providers have trouble with it as well as coders like ourselves and auditors. Um, so what we're trying to do today is just kind of give you a little bit of some basics in risk adjustment HCCs overall, um, and then give you some uh, hindsight into RAGB audits and how uh, both health plans, providers, and coders, you know, um, can help uh, work together so that they ensure that they properly are capturing those HCC codes um, and kind of moving along together synergistically. Some of you may know me, um, some of you may not. Um, just a little background, uh, I have been in healthcare for a little over 20 years. Um, Kim will give you a little bit of background on herself. But um, uh, one of the things that I have specialized in is risk adjustment. And uh, back in 2014, I was approached by the APC to, um, and to help them develop the National Risk Adjustment uh, CRC. Um, credential and also to help um, develop the national exams. So we did beta testing and all of that. And then in early 2015, the CRC was finally launched by the APC. So I was one of eight people on that uh, national committee. Um, Kim has an extensive background and is also a CRC, as I said, and has helped me on many, many different projects, um, including risk adjustment, auditing, and so forth. Kim, do you want to give a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. Um, I took that CRC exam. And let me tell you, it was tough. It was very difficult. So it was a really good exam. So, uh, yes, I've been in healthcare about 24 years. Started out as an insurance agent. Um, literally went door to door selling insurance. Uh, got into um, securities, um, securities license, and found my way into healthcare uh, via my first client being an anesthesiologist. And I'm grateful to. That man, uh, for sure. So I have built and coded many, many specialties, um, audited. I've worked with Holly on several projects, and um, and then here we are with Billing Paradise. Mm -hmm. And we are talking to you today about risk adjustment fraud, not just another effort. That's right. Thank you, Holly. Yeah, I, you know, those of you who know me uh, know that, you know, I like to kind of put as much of a positive spin on things as possible, especially when we're dealing with things like this, because they do get so intense, you know, and there's a lot of uh, fraud that happens. Um, sometimes, you know, it's, it's abuse is more, you know, not really understanding things, and then there is intent uh, to defraud. Um, you know, I always like to try to err on the side of, you know, possibly that, you know, people really didn't understand what the rules were. You know, I like to not assume that their intent was to defraud. You never, you never should. Um, and so it's best to kind of assume that it was just a misunderstanding, you know, until proven otherwise. 
Uh, sometimes people tend to forget that in the scheme of things, especially with all the different media stuff that we hear, you know, about these different health plans, you know, which is unfortunate. Um, I think that sometimes, you know, just before we get into it, you know, just to give you a little insight, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of different people in the industry um, at health plans, worked with health plans. I worked for a Medicare Advantage plan myself for several years, as well as Cleveland Clinic. Um, and, you know, even Cleveland Clinic had trouble um, struggling, as well did the health plan that I worked for, in trying to, you know, make bridge that gap between capturing these HCC codes properly, uh, getting documentation to all line up, you know, with the, from the providers, and then submitting things into wraps, and now we have EDS also in the mix. Um, so, one of the things I'd like to say is that, uh, you know, we know uh, that Medicare performs risk adjustment validation audits um, by reviewing provider medical record documentation, uh, which helps validate, you know, submitted diagnosis codes as they correlate to HCC codes. Um, some of the health plan names you've seen recently in the headlines are United Healthcare, Freedom Health, which is here in Florida where I am, Humana, Aetna, Optimum Healthcare, um, and they have all you know, unfortunately fallen under the scope of the DOJ for allegedly submitting risk adjustment scores that improperly inflated uh, Medicare Advantage reimbursement. Um, and that was from Health Leaders Media um, that they recently reported on that. I'm not saying either way. I'm just reporting what, you know, the headlines that I've seen, um, you know, and things that I know. Um, you know, there are a lot of struggles that go on within health plan um, trying to get this data. And for those of you that are participating that work for a health plan here today, or that participate um, from a provider's office, you really need to work together, you know, as a team to kind of, you know, help each other capture the data. Because at the end of the day, it's really about your patients and about their health. And you need to make sure that you're reporting these um, chronic conditions accurately to your health plan so that they can report them accurately to Medicare and get proper reimbursement, not just for themselves, or for you guys in the provider practices, but overall so that they can provide better benefits to those members. And one of those, one day soon, we're all going to be one of those members of a health plan. So we want to make sure that we're paving the way now. Right, Tim? We're paving the way now to make sure that, you know, we can really understand how risk adjustment works. Because at the end of the day, with uh, value-based care and everything that's changing in healthcare today in the landscape, um, it's really going to end up more or less into some type of risk adjustment model where we have to capture these chronic conditions. That's what MEDS did. PQRS attempted it. You know, thankfully that's sunsetting, but now we have MEPS, you know, that we have to deal with. But, you know, it's got to be a team effort inside that yeah. office. It can't be um, the team has to create a provider query process. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of um, uh, provider query forms out there for you to alter to fit your office. Um, mm -hmm. And what the provider query process is about is not telling the provider how to diagnose. Correct. It's, it's trying to get the provider to dig further into uh, the patient's health and um, give a specified diagnostic code so that it meets medical necessity. And then if the patient has um, conditions that will link, to link those conditions so that, you know, they're going to feed into um, HCC. Right. So just to kind of cover, you know, some basics, again, for those of you who might be new to this um, industry with um, Medicare Advantage risk adjustment and HCCs, and right. I want to give you more background on that. Um, for those of you who may not know, um, you're probably going to hear um, 
several phrases, one of them being risk adjustment factor score or RASH, uh, when properly reported. And what that does is it allows CMS to provide additional reimbursement to Medicare Advantage plans based, as I was saying, on members' overall health. The RASH scores are derived from the submitted diagnoses from what should be in the medical record, and a higher weighted raft, um, raft, excuse me, correlates to sicker patients, which means a higher cost to the Medicare Advantage plan to treat these sicker patients. Hence, that means it requires higher, reverse, higher reimbursement um, back to the MA plan from CMS. Um, main avenue in which risk adjustment for and abuse occurs is by reporting chronic conditions and subsequent treatment on patients that either did not have the reported conditions or care or upcoding on existing conditions to make it seem more severe in nature than it is. And what I mean by that is let's say a patient has diabetes and then maybe they have, you know, some uh, neuropathy or something like that. Or, and it, or it's not really related, but someone might, you know, decide to causally related when they report it. Not necessarily it's documented that way, obviously, but they might, you know, happen to do that. I'm not saying they're doing it with intent, but it does happen. You know, it's just an error. But those are things that we want to watch out for. Um, a little overview about CMS's hierarchical condition categories or our favorite HCCs. Um, you know, Medicare actually introduced them back in 2004, and the goal was to pay the Medicare Advantage and prescription drug plans accurately and fairly by adjusting payment for enrollees based on their demographics and their health status. Um, the risk adjustment payment model uh, basically measures the disease burden that includes 70 HCCs, which are correlated to diagnosis codes, um, an accurate diagnosis code documentation of the ICD-10s and formerly ICD-9s, um, and reporting now determines reimbursement. There are roughly about 8,700 ICD-10 codes that map to one of 70 HCCs. I'm mostly chronic, but some are acute. Um, and previously in ICD-9, it was about 3,600. Right, Kim? Yes. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. You want me to do the next one? Um, so we got it. Do you want to talk about the process? Yeah, let's talk about the process a little bit, okay. and then I'm going to hand it over to you uh, right. for a couple of slides. Excuse me. Um, yep. Thank you. Okay. So, so the process. Care is delivered to the member face to face. Care and diagnosis are um, in the chart. Progress notes. ICD-10 codes are submitted on claims based on face-to-face encounter with clinical findings. Claims data, diagnosis codes are converted to HCC codes. HCC data submitted to CMS. CMS calculates the Medicare Advantage risk adjustment. Plan and providers can deliver, and so at the end of this, the plan and the providers can deliver better care and reimbursement is received. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Um, the next slide that I added um, is the payment run dates. Um, and just to okay. kind of briefly okay. go over that, yeah, Kim, I don't think you have this. Uh, That's okay. Go ahead. Moment. But um, I just want to kind of mention it briefly because it changed this year, or well, actually, it was last year. In April of 2016, uh, those of you who know or you have seen this, but for those of you who have not, um, CMS issued a memo on. April 20th, 2016, and they changed around the deadline for submitting risk adjustment data uh, for using the risk score calculations um, payment runs for 2016, 2017, and 2018. And what the overall message in that was that they finally decided that they were going to be blending the risk scores. Um, for 2016, they used 10% of the risk score calculated with diagnosis from encounter data and fee-for-service. 
uh, some with 90% of the risk score calculated with uh, diagnoses from RAPS and fee-for-service. Um, then, as of this year, there's a 25% uh, risk score calculated with diagnoses from encounter data and fee-for-service. Some with 75% of the risk score calculated with diagnoses from RAPS and fee-for-service. And then uh, it's going to continue on and increase in that percentage as we progress through um, in the coming years. So just to okay. let people know, um, if anyone wants that information, just contact me afterwards or Kim, and we can be happy to send it to you. Sure, sure. Kim, you want to take payment methodology? Absolutely. Um, payment methodology. Payments are based upon acuity of diagnosis. Sicker payments, patients will require more cocktail resources. Diagnoses must be reestablished each year to ensure that next year's payments will cover the costs. Uh, for example, an amputation must be reported at least once per year to ensure that services related to this condition will be covered. So every year they have to say in the annual um, wellness that this person is an amputee and the details of the amputee. Documentation must support the diagnosis that, um, that are reported and plan for each diagnosis. So the plan of care has to be spelled out for each diagnosis. Oftentimes, uh, physicians get familiar with patients over time and neglect documentation of chronic stable conditions. Yeah, just to speak to that a little bit further, um, okay. you know, oftentimes, you know, when I, especially when I worked for the um, Medicare Advantage plan for several years, I had about, um, I had three counties, so I had about 150 providers um, that were mine that I used to visit. And uh, so I would go through tons of medical records and, you know, look for different things, um, trying to see, you know, if there's any causal or linking statements between conditions, especially, you know, with diabetes and CKD and CHF, et cetera. Um, but one of the biggest things that I used to see that would be forgotten in documentation uh, annually, um, especially in the first quarter, you know, when those patients do come in either for an initial annual wellness visit, if they're a new patient, or if it's their subsequent annual wellness visit, is, you know, I could see from the prior year, we have uh, statistics to look at that, you know, say Mr. Jones, you know, he had a baloney amputation left knee, right? And then, uh, you know, in the year before, we were, you know, reporting that accurately, but then in the following year, somehow magically, you know, Mr. Smith's, you know, knee came back, and uh, so we would always wonder, how did that happen? You know, that's one of my favorite examples, um, but it happens all the time, and it's not, you know, intentional. It's just that, you know, the doctors are very overwhelmed. You know, they have yeah. a lot of patients that they have to see. Um, you know, now they have MIPS, you know, before they have PCRS, they have meaningful use. They have all these different things they're trying to capture uh, just for straight Medicare. And then also now we have the Medicare Advantage plans coming along and we're saying, okay, well, we need your HEDIS measures, which we're not going to get into today. That'll be another one. But, um, you know, but we need you to help us capture these chronic conditions. And, you know, one of them that I always see, you know, left off the board was the amputations, you know, things like that, or any kind of status condition. So it's really important to make sure that you capture your status conditions. They say annually, Medicare says annually. I always recommend at least twice a year to cover your bases. Um, and I recommend at least once in the first quarter, you know, to check the chronic conditions of all your patients. And then again in like the third or fourth. Um, you know, Medicare has all the different payment runs throughout the year, um, so you want to make sure that you're capturing them within those payment runs. So that's my recommendation twice. 
Well, you know, let me add to that. The other thing is, is inside that EMR, you have to make sure that you, uh, as you as you go forward seeing this patient, you need to make sure that you uh, designate active and conditions that are closed out. So Holly and I see that all the time when we yeah. problem yeah. That, you know, they have, they have a list of 35 diagnoses and 35 different problems and they all are active. Well, that, that can't be. You have to bring it down and make sure that the ones that are active are active and the ones that are resolved are resolved. Correct. Yeah. And, and we all know that you can't code from a problem list. You can confirm from a problem list. Um, but they have to make sure that they address it in their, you know, assessment plan. Or, you know, somewhere in those notes confirming those conditions. And, uh, right. you know. Out on, Facebook, a- uh, out on Facebook the other day, there, somebody was talking about um, coding from lab results. Want to speak to that? Yeah, yeah. That's a big no-no. <laughs> I know. It is a good one. Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, um, but sometimes, you know, people get different information. I mean, just like you're receiving information from us today, um, you know, so it, it's, sometimes it's data overload, you know, maybe there's too many courses out there, I don't know, but just make sure that, you know, if you are um, a coding professional or a provider, health plan, et cetera, that you just validate your information. Um, we will have, uh, you know, this PowerPoint available, so, you know, post-webinar, um, and, you know, I always put uh, links to, you know, where my source documentation comes from, so um, it's easy to check. But, you know, it's very important to make sure that, you know, you're following the guidelines. Medicare published a book, um, basically, it's the Risk Adjustment Bible back in 2008, <clears throat> and, you know, there's still a lot of people that aren't aware that that exists. Um, they have updated it. Uh, to some extent, you know, periodically over the course of time, but they really need to do a full overhaul. I think they're just waiting on some different things, um, you know, in government uh, to do so. But at some point, they will probably redo the entire book. Um, but that is, you know, that is that really is, you know, the Bible, um, and you can go through um, the updates that have come out subsequent to 2008 uh, to check things. But if you have any questions, that's your best bet, and also going to the Medicare website uh, for risk adjustment, which we'll give you um, post-webinar. Um, Next, we want to talk a little bit about HCC payment methodology and ICD coding a little bit further. Um, you know, documentation. Um, physicians really need to ensure that they're really paying attention to their documentation uh, and make sure that it contains the necessary details so staff members can choose the right codes for each patient um, with that provider. Um, besides the increased specificity of a diagnostic, diagnostic code, doctors also face other documentation challenges, including identification of conditions that contribute to the complexity of a disease, severity of contributing morbidity, comorbidity, current stage of a disease such as chronic kidney disease, dementia and asthma, uh, type of diabetes and its severity, and a complete history of any present illness and follow-up visits. Um, you know, the physicians at the end of the day are the ones responsible for choosing the correct diagnosis code, so I want to make sure I'm clear on that when I say that staff members can choose things, because staff members, when they're taking, you know, uh, the intake information and so forth, or if you have a scribe that works for you, you want to make sure that they're selecting the proper uh, conditions, but you, at the end of the day, as a provider, have to double-check that information to make sure that it's captured correctly, Okay. All right. All right. Let's continue. Kim, you want to take coding changes? I'm sorry. 
want to take coding changes with ICD-10 and diabetes? Sure. Sure. Maybe, okay. Okay. Uh, coding changes with I-10, diabetes documentation must include the type of diabetes. How about that? We would love to see whether it's one or two, right? We have to see. Uh, body system affected, the complication or manifestation. If a patient with type 2 diabetes is using insulin, a secondary code for long-term insulin use is required. Neoplasmous documentation must include, um, first of all, the type, malignant. Is it primary, secondary? Is it cancer in stew? Benign, uncertain, unspecified behavior, the location, we need the site of the um, malignant neoplasm. Uh, if malignant, any secondary site should be uh, determined. Uh, laterality, uh, asthma documentation must include the severity of the disease, mild, intermittent, mild, persistent, moderate, persistent. So these are drilling down into these conditions. I-10 was lots of nonspecific codes. That's over. We have to move on and drill down into these codes. Absolutely. I mean, just, you know, as you're going over those, you know, one of the things that came to mind for me is that, you know, now with ICD-10, there's over 200 ICD-10 codes just for diabetes alone. Um, right. So specificity is really our primary concern for any, any provider and coding professional and, and also auditor. Um, the other thing you want to keep in mind, too, you know, in the event of a RADV audit, um, you know, if you're not being specific and drilling down, as Kim said, you know, into your notes, um, you're going to get dinged in a RADV audit. So we're, we're going to get into that very shortly. But, again, we just want to give you some basic overviews of uh, what's going on. Um, one thing that I'd like to mention is the HCC coding impact to revenue. Um, and what basically I'm saying by that is that, you know, let's say you had a 76-year-old female or however, or male, um, and, you know, for a 76-year-old female, um, you know, they captured uh, a low level of specificity. So um, at the end of the day, she actually had diabetes, she had vascular disease, she had CHS, um, and there were disease interactions, but at the end of the day, they didn't capture any of that. The total RAF score for that is 0.588 or, um, as of these stats. And then, uh, some conditions coded, moderate level of specificity, same 76-year-old female would be, and she's Medicaid eligible. Diabetes with vascular complications, vascular disease without complications, um, but they missed CHF and they missed the disease interactions. So then you got a RAF score of 1.005, um, and then if you have someone, <clears throat> same 76-year-old female uh, with a high level of specificity where she also is Medicaid eligible, uh, they did capture, again, the diabetes with vascular complications, vascular disease with complications of arteriosclerosis, <clears throat> excuse me, with ulcers, et cetera, CHF, um, and you have captured disease interaction, then the total RAS score there is 2.919. Uh, and what that means is when you have no conditions coded, as in the first example, that uh, – Revenue paid back to the health plan is $528, but when you have, <clears throat> excuse me, all of the uh, conditions coded properly and captured, you get revenue back to the health plan from Medicare of $2,624. That's a significant difference. And again, it's not just about the money. That's not what we're trying to trying to drive home here. We're trying to drive home here that when you ca accurately capture these chronic conditions, not only does it increase the RAF score appropriately, 
and compliantly, but it also tells Medicare its patient is really sick and that the plan needs the money in order to pay for the care of this patient. And that's how you capture things compliantly and correctly, but it's all about documentation. So that's something that, you know, providers really need to look at along with your coders and auditors and health plans. You know, the health plans need to double check to make sure that what the providers are submitting, whether they're capitated or partially partial risk or fee for service, you know, however, the, if it's a commercial plan, that the that these diagnoses are being captured um, correctly and that the documentation supports what's being submitted at the end of the day. Um, there are a couple of questions to consider regarding physician documentation. Um, and basically what you can say about the medical record is that it really is the clinical life story of that patient. Uh, so one must ask themselves, does the documentation paint the complete picture of that patient's condition? And if you can't answer that with a firm yes, then you need to go back to the beginning and take a look at what has been captured in that patient's clinical life story. Wouldn't you say so, Kim? Absolutely. Um, I do, for sure. Okay. Um, documentation, you know, um, again, you want to properly reflect the member's health status, you know, uh, for the plans. You want to fully assess all chronic conditions at least annually. And again, like I said, I recommend at least twice. Uh, thoroughly document in the chart, progress notes, all conditions evaluated for each visit, and code to the highest level of specificity. Just a reminder. Um, we have some top 10 issues with documentation, and I call them the top 10 fails in documentation. Um, number one is failing to capture HCCs at least once every 12 months, which, you know, I can't hammer home enough, as you'll hear throughout this entire presentation. Um, I would say, uh, you know, bulletproof your documentation. It's one of my favorite uh, sayings. Failure to ensure the medical record contains a legible signature with credential, for example, determine whether such as the electronic health record was unauthenticated, not electronically signed. Failure to ensure the diagnosis codes being billed and the actual medical record documentation match. Failure to document according to the NEAT principles, which we'll get into. Diagnoses need to be monitored, evaluated, assessed, addressed, and treated. Failing to annually document status, Z codes, and chronic conditions. Failure, failing, excuse me, to use a linking statement or document a causal relationship for manifestation codes. Failing to add any diagnosed HCCs or RSHCCs, prescription drug HCCs, that's what those are, to both the chronic problem list and the acute assessment. Failing to evaluate each of the HCCs, RSHCCs on a semi-annual basis for updates. Failing to review all specialist documentation related to cardiology, master discharge summaries, radiology, specialties, correspondence, pulmonary, echocardiograms, x-rays, lab results, and previous encounters. And finally, failing to submit more than the standard for ICD-10 codes. Um, you want to make sure that, you know, Medicare now accepts uh, 12. Um, you want to make sure that your um, clearinghouse can facilitate that um, from a provider standpoint. And most of the plans, I would assume, and I hate to use that word, but, you know, are in line with that now and are looking for more than those four standard ICD-10 codes. Um, so if you are not submitting uh, more than four when they are present, um, you know, chronic conditions, then you need to look into that with your clearinghouse and make sure that they can accept that because there are still some clearinghouses out there that, and EHRs that do not allow the provider to transmit, you know, more than the standard four. 
Right. Uh, so that, was, uh, that was one of the that was one of the big pushes with all the clearinghouse uh, to get that done for CMS guidance. So they should definitely be able to put up to twelve at minimum. Yeah, it's it's twelve. They they should be able to put up to twelve. That was the um, that was the guidance that was given to the clearinghouses. So, um, so if you have a process in your billing department where your coders code and then the information goes to data entry, data entry needs to understand they need to put in every single diagnosis code, not just four. So make sure data entry is understanding that um, that, that is what they're required to do. Correct. Absolutely. Because that, that's another thing we've seen as we've uh, yeah. been in travels in and outside of EMR systems and doctor's offices. And all, all the information that we're sharing with you, even just the basics, is all part and parcel of making sure that that medical record is bulletproof in the event of a RAGB audit. Um, one of the other things that we'll touch on is the annual wellness visit. Um, it's very difficult for Medicare Advantage plans to get providers to comply with that annual wellness visit because it is not mandatory. However, what is mandatory on an annual basis is the um, HRA. Um, so what needs to happen is to have a partner relationship between the Medicare Advantage plans and the provider practices and help the practices, you know, get in line with getting the Medicare patients in to do their annual wellness visit and the health-related assessment. Um, so, you know, that's something that needs to be worked on, but there are a lot of different components to the annual wellness visit. But once your practice gets in line with doing them and designating maybe one or two mid-levels in your practice to right. perform those, right. that's really the yeah. best way to utilize um you know, your mid-levels with the annual wellness visits for that particular function. Um, so I would recommend looking into that. If you're not currently providing annual wellness visits and HRAs in your practice, you really need to look into that, especially if you're participating with Medicare Advantage plans because mm -hmm. one of the things that can happen, you know, especially if you're not performing well on your HEDIS measures, um, if your RAF scores are low because you're just failing to capture these chronic conditions, um, there's a saying uh, within, you know, the plans, and I know it only because I work for one, uh, called right-sizing your network. And I say it in quotes because it's something that's not very pleasant to say, but Kim tells me well, and most people that know me, you know, that's something that I talk about. And what I mean by that is that when you have a provider that's poorly performing in your network and you're the Medicare Advantage plan, you try to go out, you try to assess what the problem is, you try to offer assistance to that provider practice to see what the issues are with them capturing the chronic conditions. Maybe it's an issue with documentation. Maybe it's an issue with staff. Maybe it's an issue with coverage. Maybe it's an issue with um, just not understanding what needs to take place for Medicare Advantage plans and how, and they don't really understand what HCC codes are. Because it is slightly different than the documentation that you capture in Registry for Service. But my standard is this. If you understand how to document for Medicare Advantage, pretty much you're going to cover yourself in any type of situation because it is so much more involved. And if you understand PQRS and MIPS documentation, then you're pretty much going to be able to bulletproof your documentation, and you won't ever have to worry about being right-sized out of the network. Right, and with that said, uh, each practice 
should have a meeting minimum twice a month with all the with all the providers with the medical director and they should go over their um, documentation as they look at what the coders are giving back to them. Correct. So this, so this, query, this query process is a big circle. And, and so they should have meetings with the billing department, go over the queries. The doctors need to look at their documentation, review, have the conversations, and figure out where the holes are because it is going to be about the mid-levels choosing the highest uh, specified code per the patient's condition. And then um, that documentation needs to match. And furthermore, with, with Medicare, um, and I think Holly and I are probably going to do something separate on the annual wellness visit. Um, what do you well, think about that, Holly? Most likely. Because it's such a big topic. Um, and how to use uh, the guidance from Medicare properly, and not only the coding, uh, to follow their guidance from the I-10 code that um, meet medical uh, necessity. So, so anyway, it, it really is about the whole company, the whole practice tightening up their process. Correct. All right, so let's, let's move on. You know, I think we've hammered a lot of that home uh, for most people, you know. And, uh, again, if there are any questions about any of this material, um, post, you know, webinar, just feel free to contact us and we'll be happy to respond. Um, let's kind of get into, in the second half of this, as we head to, down towards the finish line, um, you know, the CMS RAV audits. You know, I like to say a lot of people are like, what? What's a RAV audit? They've heard of audits. They've heard of Medicare audits, but when it comes to RAV, unless they really understand what risk adjustment is in HCC codes, they really have never heard of RAV. Um, so we know that RAV stands for Risk Adjustment Data Validation Audit. Um, it's a method of evaluating val and validating the accuracy of the diagnosis submitted for payment by the plan. Um, it's corrective action to help reduce the Part C error rate. Um, and each year, CMS reports a national payment error estimate to comply with the Improper Payments Elimination and Recovery Act, which is called IPERA, and that started in 2010. Um, we have a link to that if you ever want to check it out. Just let us know. Um, and CMS expects that RAVV will have a pretty much sentinel effect on the quality of risk adjustment data submitted for payment going forward into the healthcare continuum of value-based care payments and overall management of chronic care. Um, and here, hence, you know, the oncoming of MIPS and MACRA. Um, Kim, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think that's I think that's that on. I think it's perfect the way that uh, that you went through that. Yeah, a little bit more about RADV audits uh, for those of you uh, that don't fully know. Um, a CMS audit it's CMS audit that ensures the integrity and accuracy of the risk adjusted payment. It verifies, as I said, the diagnosis code submitted by the Medicare Advantage plan and that it's supported by the medical record documentation for that specific member. Um, Medicare plans can be selected for RADV audits annually, and if selected, Medicare Advantage plans are required to submit member medical records to validate the diagnosis data previously reported to CMS. Um, providers should also be aware of RADV audits because providers are required to assist the MA plan by providing medical record documentation for members included in the audit. A lot of providers don't really uh, know that or they're not aware of that, and they think, you know, um, Sometimes, you know, that we're just, you know, if you work for a Medicare Advantage plan, this is kind of some of the attitude that I would get, and I don't mean that negatively, but it's a misunderstanding 
on the provider part that we're just out there really trying to, um, when we come into your office or we ask for medical records, it's just really all about money to the plan. But again, I'm going to stress that on behalf of the plans, uh, having worked on both sides of the fence, um, that it's not just about money back to the plan. It's about in making sure that the system is operating compliantly and correctly and effectively and keeping costs down by accurately reporting all of these chronic conditions and making sure that the medical record properly supports those conditions that are reported because Medicare does audit, as we know. So, um, and if it's not documented, what do we say? It's not done. Not done. So, you may have mentally done it or talked about it or something, with, but if as a provider you don't actually document it, then there's no way to prove that this was, you know, done, performed, that it really exists or that you did tests and here's the results. The patient has COPD, etc. <clears throat> so it's a check and balance system. Um, so anyway, Kim, do you have anything you'd like to add to that? No, I think that's very accurate. Again. Okay. Right. Um, CMS, part of the RADV process is CMS request records that are selected based on enrollment data for January as payment year, mm -hmm. and that applies to eligible enrollees, 12 months of Part B during a data collection year, full risk, continuously enrolled in the same contract from January of the data collection year through January of the payment year, uh, non-ESRD uh, in status from January of the data collection year through January of the payment year, non-hospice-only status from January of the data collection year through January of the payment year, and at least one CMS HCC assigned, all CMS HCCs for selected enrollees will be reviewed. So that's the standard process. Um, then they do the medical record review and the records submitted for the RADV first undergo an intake evaluation. For outpatient and physician records, a CMS-generated attestation may be submitted with a record that's missing a provider signature and or credential, and only valid records go forward for coding. That's right. Medicare Advantage organization submitted risk adjustment diagnoses must be based on clinical medical record documentation, again, from a face-to-face -face encounter, patient and provider, coded in accordance with ICD-10-CM guidelines for coding and reporting, assigned based on dates of service within the data collection period, and submitted to the Medicare Advantage uh, contract by acceptable risk adjustment provider type, uh, risk adjustment provider data source. Anything you want to say about that, Kim? No, I'll take the next one. Uh, top 10 RADV red flags. Members with seven or more HCCs. I love that. <laughs> Members with uh, plus one in RAF score from prior year. Mm -hmm. Top one-third paid stratum diagnosis HCC, RX HCC. High distribution HCCs. Active versus history of. Vascular disease, diabetes with complications, major depression, protein calorie malnutrition, more than one status code per member. Yeah, I'd like to speak to that a little bit, um, and thank okay. you for sharing that. Um, yeah, oftentimes, you know, uh, Medicare Advantage plans, as well as Medicare, they uh, extrapolate data, you know, from submitted uh, and captured diagnosis codes throughout the year. And some of the things that, you know, tend to pop up are if there's a high RAF score, that means that there's a lot of HCC codes that are being captured. doesn't mean that it's not valid, but more likely than not, it's something, you know, that's kind of like needs to be investigated. So that would be something that would be a red flag to uh, Medicare 
um, for a RADV audit if you have a high number of patients that have um, more than seven uh, HCCs. I mean, you know, that's kind of like a, a standard number that we go with, uh, seven or more. But, you know, in light of recent events with a lot of these health plans that have, you know, uh, been investigated, they might cut that criteria down and maybe they're going to say, moving forward, maybe uh, patients that have more than four or five HCCs um, they're going to start looking into. Um, there's just a lot of different, you know, factors that are involved, um, but these are the top ten that we wanted to share with you. Um, high distribution of HCCs, um, active versus history of, that's, you know, very important. There's a lot of problems that happen with these um, active chronic conditions versus the history of a condition because um, cancer is one of those conditions that constantly gets miscoded. Um, is it active? Are they still being treated? Or is it a history of cancer? Um, and so forth. Now, we know that uh, CHF doesn't go away. We know that COPD doesn't go away. Um, so you have to make sure that that's being reported and documented accurately. Major depression is often miscoded. Um, you know, it's not either, either it's not documented as major depression or it's just um, not captured properly or it's overcoded. <clears throat> and maybe the patient really doesn't have major depression. That seems to happen a lot too. Protein calorie malnutrition, there are a lot of different um, rules around coding that and you have to meet certain criteria in order to code that properly. And a lot of times the documentation fails um, because it's just not documented accurately. It doesn't mean it doesn't necessarily exist but the documentation isn't there to support the coding of it and reporting of it. Wouldn't you say so? Yes, ma'am. I sure do. <coughs> All right. Medicare. So, yeah. uh-huh. Go ahead. Uh, Medicare Advantage plans, uh, they have to submit the one best medical record that supports each HCC identified for validation. That, of course, was changed in uh, 2011, and now Medicare will allow uh, Medicare Advantage contracts to submit up to five medical records for each audited CMS HCC per enrollee. Um, so it's important that that change came about because it really was kind of weighted unfairly against Medicare Advantage plans um, at that time to only be able to use one medical record. So it kind of allows the Medicare Advantage plans to have a better opportunity to sail through a RADV audit compliantly because they're given more opportunity to prove that um, those HCC codes really are accurately reported. Because uh, sometimes it's hard extrapolating data, as we all know, from, you know, an inpatient record, outpatient records, you know, office records. So it really um, has leveled the playing field, I feel. Um, and so a lot of my colleagues now that they have been allowed to submit up to five medical records. Right. Okay, so risk adjustment data validation. Red V, Medical Record Checklist and Guidance. CMS created the Risk Adjustment Data Valid Validation Medical Record Checklist and Guidance. To assist contracts in selecting appropriate medical records, the guidance is based upon issues CMS observed with medical records submitted for previous RADV audits. The guidance addresses issues observed during intake, incorrect data service, unacceptable provider type, etc., and coding. Diagnosis, diagnosis can uh, cannot be verified using I-10 guidelines. That's correct. Mm-hmm. RADB findings. At the conclusion of the initial medical record review process, results will be issued to audited contracts in the form of a preliminary audit report of findings, AROF. 
For each audited CMS HCC, the preliminary AROF will detail the, validate, the validation outcome error type, if applicable, and eligibility for the medical record dispute. For each enrollee, the preliminary AROF will be detailed calculation of the corrected risk score and payment based upon the initial medical record review results. Contacts will receive information and instructions on the medical record dispute, MRD, with the preliminary AROF. Correct. We have some practice reminders that we'd like to share with you. Um, we want to make, you know, just kind of reiterate the diagnosis codes submitted by Medicare Advantage organizations are used to determine beneficiary risk scores, which in turn determine the risk-adjusted reimbursement. Uh, major areas of concern are pointed out to plans to communicate to network providers in order to reduce or eliminate fraud, abuse, and waste within the system. Some of those reminders are documentation must always support the code selected and substantiate that the proper coding guidelines were followed. Data validation ensures that both are appropriate. Upcoding or changing diagnoses to obtain higher reimbursement without supporting source documents is fraudulent. The risk adjustment diagnosis must be based on clinical medical record documentation from a face-to-face -face encounter. Must be coded according to the IC10CM guidelines for coding and reporting. Assigned based on dates of service within the data collection period and submitted to the Medicare Advantage organization from an appropriate risk adjustment provider type and an appropriate risk adjustment physician data source. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Well, we're going to, yep, we're concluding, um, you know, this presentation. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I like to quote from is uh, from Socrates. And, you know, I like to say that the secret of change is to focus all of your energy not on fighting the old, but on building the new. So what I mean by that, and, you know, I'm not going to speak for Socrates, but I'm giving my own twist on that one, um, is that basically, you know, there's a lot of things that happen, you know, in the Medicare Advantage system, the Medicare system, you know, healthcare overall, that have, you know, not always been positive. Um, and just because a payer gets into trouble doesn't mean that, you know, the entire company is fraudulent or that they are fraudulent at all. Um, same with a provider practice. You know, it's, it should always be innocent until proven guilty, not guilty until proven innocent. But sometimes we forget that. Um, so instead of focusing on past, you know, negative uh, trends or things that have happened and fighting those old battles, you really need to focus on building a new um, horizon, you know, within your practice, within your health plan, you know, or within yourself. Um, and what that means is you have to really embrace the changing landscape in healthcare today. And that means leaving the old behind, the negative, and kind of opening yourself to the new. And embracing, okay, we have MIPS coming our way. So instead of saying, oh, my God, it's MIPS, say, okay, you know what, MIPS. Maybe I can get on board with that, and maybe I can win with MIPS. You know, same with Medicare Advantage. I did a presentation several years back called Winning with Medicare Advantage. There are ways to, you know, not beat the system, but to work with the system compliantly and synergistically and to get what you need as a provider, as a health plan, coder, auditor, et cetera, you know, what you need out of what's currently going on in healthcare today. That's right. Um, and a practice can find success in that. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. So I don't know if we can we open it up for questions, Kim, or, you know, um, I think uh, we pretty much have all those answered. We've been answering yeah, them as we've been going along. And, okay. Um, I think that's okay. it. Yeah, we'd like to thank everyone for attending. Uh, again, this was a free 
uh, webinar. So we have some other things, you know, on our website, uh, Billing Paradise, um, you know, that if you're interested in speaking to us further about risk adjustment, you know, if you're having any problems within your practice, within your health plan, um, we have, you know, a team of uh, specialists, including Kim and myself, that would be happy to assist you with any of your needs or any questions. Um, you know, if you want to consult with us on something uh, or on how to better capture, you know, or focus on documentation, whatever it happens to be, please feel free to reach out to us, you know, and we'd love to hear from you and try and help you solve you, solve whatever is, uh, you know, happening within your practice or within your plan. Um, we've worked with both side by side, um, you know, and again, as I said, I helped develop uh, the CRC credential and also the national exam. Kim uh, has taken that herself and studied diligently and worked with me on many projects, including many auditing projects, government audits, payer audits, you know, numerous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we work with a lot of attorneys. You know, Billy Paradise um, really has a great uh, workforce behind them. We do reverse right. cycle management. Kind of master of all, you know, different trades within healthcare. Um, when you've been in it a while, that's just kind of what happens. Absolutely. <laughs> so, again, we thank you. We hope you enjoyed the presentation. And if anyone is interested in obtaining a copy of the PowerPoint, just reach out to us on Billing Parities. Thank you so much and have a wonderful day. Thank you so much.